everyone. The majority of today's show is going to focus on all of week 18's matchups. What's on the line, what's at stake, whatever team is playing for or not trying to lose. And then like one thing that you should be watching in each of those games. But this is the first show that we've done since Monday night. So before we get started, it's only right to acknowledge Damar Hamlin, what happened during Monday night football, when he suffered, went into cardiac arrest. Thankfully, Hayden, signs ever since Monday night have really trended in a tremendously positive direction from Tom Pelissero uh, and then the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. Quote, substantial improvement with Hamlin over the last 24 hours. He is beginning to awaken and it appears his neurological condition and function is intact. I think everyone has seen the incredible updates of him communicating via writing to his family, to the doctors, everything like that. What did you want to say? Yeah, well, I don't think this happens without extremely confident and fast care from the Bills and the Bengals staff. I want to give credit to Denny Kellington. Dog. Uh, absolute dog doing CPR. I think it was for like nine minutes. They resuscitated him. So yep. this was a life-saving event and all this stuff doesn't happen by accident this is a lot of medical staff though this will continue to be a lot of medical staff who sacrificed partying relaxing on weekends for studying for being in the labs for working all these random shifts long hours long like physical hours in the lab and they were able to pull this off so it's just a reminder how fragile life can be and also how much work and how stressful these uh doctors training staffs are in and how we could be saved at any moment. Yeah. I mean, we've watched thousands of games. I can't speak for you, but for myself, it felt immediately different when this happened, when watching Monday night football. Um, I also feel like those who played are really the ones that you should listen to with conversations like this, you know, and a lot of them now are in the media and they're speaking out because, you know, they're the ones and their families, especially are the ones who have felt kind of this fear or something like it. The other thing that I'll add is, it stuck with me how common the hit was, you know, mm-hmm. that it wasn't targeting. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't slamming a quarterback down. It was just a simple tackle, something that happens, you know, a hundred times a game. Um, so I, there's not too much more to say other than that, other than it's like amazing that we are getting this positive news. Yeah. And um, I just could not imagine not only being a part of the, Bill's organization, the Bengals organization throughout the league during this point, and now just turning back around and going to play football this weekend, you know? But like you said, it was such a normal NFL hit. Yeah. But that shows how rare what they think that happened here. But how even though that's a really rare occurrence, the doctors and the medical staff were still on top of it. The other thing, and this is something that I've seen from ex-players talking about after their career ends, how does the NFL treat them? when it comes to medical bills and guaranteed contracts. So just a reminder, when we get to these CBAs and all that stuff, and they're arguing over players versus owners and stuff, what side it feels best to be on and getting players to have some more assurances after their NFL career happens, because players like Jamar Hamlin, let's break it, not superstars. If they only last a couple of years and they suffer a major injury, they're not multi-trillionaire guys. Like these injuries could be forever lasting and getting them, the proper treatment is definitely something that I'll be looking for. It's just another example of what could happen in an instance uh, on the NFL field. All right. Sharp right turn. Should we talk about football this weekend? Um, week 18 is interesting how the scheduling has changed over the last few years because every game is a rematch. 
Um, again, we thought the most beneficial thing here is to go through every single game and convey to you through, through Hayden's column, which you can find the link in the description down below, uh, what is on the line, what each team is playing for, or again, conversely, not playing for and wanting yeah. to lose in some scenarios. And I'll try to throw out a matchup or something that I'm looking out for. Uh, the easiest place to start here, Hayden, is again on Saturday. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders, a total of 52 and a half with the Chiefs favorite as of right now by nine and a half points. Tell us what's on the line here. So with this entire column, there's this huge caveat of what the NFL is going to decide what to do with the Bengals and Bills games. By all reports, it seems like the game will not be rescheduled. How they actually handle that is going to have trickle-down effects. For this first game, Chiefs versus Raiders, it's not going to matter. The Chiefs have to win in hopes of locking up the bye. Regardless, they play first. The Raiders, meanwhile, They've they've obviously been eliminated. They're starting Jared Stidham. They have the eighth overall pick going into this game. So the point spread, as expected, Chiefs really big over the Raiders. The Chiefs have everything to play for. They should be playing at full speed. For me, one, Miko Hardman is back. Uh, I know his practice window has started, and we've seen how this offense this season has really just been Travis Kelsey, the running back stable, and Andy Reid's creativity. Like those are the constants every single week. And for the Chiefs, they legit just need one more piece, someone of the others to step up every single week. I'm honestly crossing my fingers that at some point as we get to the playoffs, Kadarius Tony is the one that's like fully incorporated into this offense. Cause to me, that can like take them over the top and have like that magical Super Bowl run. Um, last week, they were incorporating you know, again, more moments of him. He had that big reception, which was a wheel route with him lining up out of the backfield. He high pointed along the sideline, which we've seen him do already this season for the Chiefs um, along the sideline. The next one was out of the slot, a deep post or an over route. It was the second most snaps since joining the Chiefs. And again, it's everyone else to go along with the Jarek McKinnon plus Pacheco plus Travis Kelsey stuff. But if Tony, who was like the best isolated pass catcher among that grouping does become a consistent member of this offense, then the uh, the Chiefs could be really special, I feel like. I like Kadarius Tony in NFL playoffs best ball, somebody who obviously has been learning the playbooks, been injured, but things are tr- tr- uh, trending in the right direction for him. He's got the profile of somebody that they exactly need. They don't need somebody that's going to be getting 8 to 10 targets. They already got that with Travis Kelsey. They need somebody that can be on the field for every single snap and do some of this gadget stuff. To me, that is... Kadarius Tony McCole Hardman was that guy, but he, they've, there's been a longer track record of him not being that six, seven, eight target guy that I think Kadarius Tony can be. So he would be the really fun wrinkle if they can't figure this out. And I also think that Jarek McKinnon will get more and more of the workload as they trend towards AFC championship and maybe even to the Super Bowl. One more thing. Mahomes has been unreal this season. The NFL's MVP, their passing EPA is outstanding this season. But it hasn't been perfect, you know, like we still have not seen and we talk about every single week in instant reactions that one deep shot from Patrick Mahomes to Marquez Valdez Scantling that allows MVS to be a spiked week player. And there were four or five occasions I can think of this year that either a pass was just overthrown, that he didn't track it well, that it was underthrown. And again, if MVS doesn't come down with a 50 yard touchdown, he's not relevant for fantasy football. And to us not get a single one of those this season, that doesn't mean they can't do it. It just might mean it hits during playoff time. And that would be incredibly exciting too. Last note, uh, obviously with the Raiders situation, we're watching Josh Jacobs status. He missed last practice 
for personal reasons. He's obviously a free agent. I think he's going to get franchise tag. I'll go over some more of the Raiders' decisions, but they got a lot of them. Uh, Devontae Adams did come out and say that he does not want to get traded. He likes being a Raider, even with Derek Carr being floated out there. Uh, There's contract reasons why uh, Derek Carr is likely to get gone and Devontae Adams is back in, but I think both of them probably will be playing in this game, even though it is meaningless. Final note, and I'm going to show his, his reception chart later on, but what Brandon Ayuk did to this Raiders defense last week was a bunch of in-breaking routes over the middle of the field. Uh, that's obviously Travis Kelsey, but I wonder if that's more of like a Juju Smith-Schuster thing and less of a Kadarius Tony thing, which we see a bit more on the sideline with him so far this season. All right, next up, also on Saturday, it's the Tennessee Titans against the Jacksonville Jaguars. A total of 40 in this game. The Jaguars are favored by six. What's at stake, Aiden? This one's the most obvious game. It's the best game of the weekend, in my opinion. Titans-Jaguars, you win, and you're the AFC champion. Uh, the difference is is if, if the Jaguars lose, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. They would need the Steelers, they would need the Patriots, and the Dolphins to lose. Uh, 538 has at about 18% odds. But really, this is simple. The Jaguars should take care of business. Uh, they are benching Malik Willis in Tennessee for Josh Dobbs, who just came off. The streets was not an NFL player by any any means uh, as of a couple weeks ago. They're pretty big favorites here, as they should be. I think even with Ryan Tannehill, you and I would both call the Jaguars, who are at home, the better team on both sides of the ball. They last played each other in week 14. The Jaguars won 36 to 22. Ryan Tannehill did play in that game. But what stood out to me in that contest, that was the coming out party for Evan Ingram. You know, 15 targets, 11 receptions, 162 yards, and two touchdowns. I don't know if he eclipsed like 50 yards in what his previous 13 weeks prior to that. So why did it happen and, and how did it happen? And to me, when you look at it, it is now what we know of this offense. It was a bunch of misdirection, and it was a lot of getting the football in Evan Ingram's hands and allowing him to be just a great athlete um, after the catch. Now, Tennessee tried to play it in two different ways. When they ran zone, as you can see here on the left receptions, you know, he would sit kind of in that area between the linebackers in front of dropping pass rushers in front of safeties. Then there were other occasions where they would try to match uh, Kevin Bayard against him one-on-one and they'd run mesh. They'd run pick plays. They again, again would do whip routes out of the slot. And it was just to allow Evan Ingram to be a much better athlete than his opponent out there. And I wanted to bring this up because this is why I love individual matchups and why I love looking at the pick and projections because of it. An underdog right now, he's at 46 and a half receiving yards. The Jaguars are going to go full tilt, as Hayden just said. And I think Evan Ingram is such a key to that right now, especially when you consider the Titans defense getting healthier with the Nico Autry, with Jeffrey Simmons to stop that threat of Travis Etienne. And so for this sole matchup where they maximized it last time out, I think Evan Ingram is a key, key piece for the Jaguars to win this game. Yeah, they've been scheming him up. Doug Peterson, man, he's, I know he's not getting that much coach of the year love, but he would be on my short list of what he's been able to do with this offense, getting everybody kind of maximizing their potential. Travis Etienne had a big game uh, last week, um, like his chances too. The Titans, their, their injury report's been absolutely insane for this entire season it looks a little bit better but they're still missing so many guys on injured reserve all right next up let's go to the baltimore ravens and the cincinnati Bengals. so as of this recording you probably should have led with this right now it's 6 12 eastern 
on Thursday, I think right before we went live to record the show, it was announced that the competition committee is sitting down to talk about what should happen from week 17 and how that will impact scheduling moving forward and playoff seating. Yeah, and their decision is going to be massive here. What it seems like they're going to rule is no contest. And it's not the best kind of policy, in my opinion, because if this game gets ruled as a no contest or it's a tie, it doesn't really matter. It's basically the same thing. And they're not going to make up this game, which by all reports is going to be the case. That means that the Chiefs who play on Saturday, like I said, would clinch the first seed. That means that the Bills later on, their their game's not completely meaningless, but it's far less meaningless because they would not have access to the first seed. Um, the Patriots would be in a must-win situation uh, against those Bills, and they would be kind of potentially screwing over the Dolphins and Steelers, who are both losing or hoping this, the Patriots lose. But on top of that, if that game is ruled a no contest and it does go to winning percentages, which it does seem like that's what's going to happen here, then the Bengals are already going to lock up the AFC South. The Ravens seem like they don't really care about this game. Lamar Jackson hasn't practiced yet, not even in in limited fashion. So this could be a situation where the Ravens aren't really trying because they're going to be the fifth or sixth seed no matter what. And then the Bengals, they no longer could be the first seed because of this NFL decision. So now you're going to have these two teams who probably aren't even really playing for all that much here. So uh, unless they either give the Bengals a win, which I have not seen, or if they call this a no contest, but come up with some other seeding situations, like if, they play each other. They're going to be on the road or something like that. Or they, there's these other theories out there, unless they do something like that, this game to me really doesn't mean a whole lot. So we're gonna have to wait uh, for this, but this is just goes back to winning percentage. Unfortunately, this Ravens Bengals game doesn't even matter all that much. Yeah. I mean, the spread kind of indicates that it's at seven right now in the favor of the Bengals. Um, I mean, there's no hope to me for the Ravens here. You you talk through why that's the case, but I even think just on the field. The last time these two teams played, it was, I think, week five. The Ravens ran for 158 yards. Uh, we were still nervous about the Bengals' offense at that point. It was obviously Lamar Jackson running the football. And I think also in that game, DJ Reader didn't play for the Bengals' defense. And DJ Reader is such a key for them from a pure run-stuffing matchup He's out there. It's also Tyler Huntley, who is a vast departure in the passing game from what yeah. we saw at this time last year. You know, it doesn't even look like it's the same quarterback who's throwing the football. Never mind how many issues they have among all the wide receivers, not name and pass catchers, not name Mark Andrews. Um, so, like, if J.K. Dobbins can't get it done, I mean, the Bengals win this one with ease. Now, with that said, the Bengals don't have Lyle Collins. And that's something while, again, in those first five weeks of the season, we were still questioning this offensive line. It really settled down as the season went along. And so clarifying that right tackle spot for them is a key in the playoffs. And one final note, like this Ravens zone defense can get really crushed. Just we just talked about the Jaguars. Think of what he did in Trevor Lawrence to the whole shots over the top of Marcus Peters and outside the safeties. And what Joe Burrow has done really since that week five game is just totally see pre-snap, post-snap exactly what zone coverages he's going to play against and find these small windows, these big spaces to attack in the passing game. And so I think Joe Burrow is going to have a huge, huge game here in Week 18. 
Yeah, I, I do just want to keep reminding, if it is a no contest, goes back right. to winning percentages, we'll see how much they play. Um, the yeah. point spread and all the team total hasn't dropped all that much, but there is a scenario where this game doesn't matter all that much. And if they trot out Tyler Huntley, do does Joe Burrow need to be out there for the fourth quarter and all that stuff? We'll, we'll get to, I think we'll get some news here later on. Unfortunately, the next game for us is, is still pretty complicated too. Okay, well, let's go that to that one. The Patriots and the Bills. Right now, the Bills, I believe, are nine and a half point favorites in this game. It's a what total of 42 and a half from what I'm seeing. Why is it complicated? Because if it is no contest, then the Bills can't be the first seed. And if the Chiefs do win on Saturday, then like we said, they're playing Jared Stidham. We all expect it. Then the Bills are in a situation where they're not playing for that first seed anymore. Would they play their players as much? Um, that's kind of to be determined. It really comes down to whatever the NFL decides, how they're going to be breaking these kind of like tiebreakers in this winning percentage situation because neither of the two teams are going to have the same amount of games played. For the Patriots, though, it's easy. The Patriots have to win this thing. If they beat the Bills, they're in, period. And we're going to know early on the Patriots are going to be at full health, it seems like, um, with Ramondre and Damian Harris, uh, Mac Jones slinging it, and we'll see what happens with the Bills. The Bills said that uh, in a press conference today that they're ready to play, ready to do it for DeMar Hamlin. Um, We'll see what happens with the NFL's decision how much this game ends up truly mattering. Last time these two teams played, it was the Mac Jones quote, the quick game is shit, throw the ball down the field. That was back in week 13. Iconic. Iconic. Uh, For some reasons. Uh, I thought this tweet by Nate Tice was really apt here. uh, That Mac Jones ranks dead last in the NFL among qualifying pass rushers. Uh, Excuse me, when five or more pass rushers uh, are activated by the defense. And I think it's shown up when he plays and he outlines it here that it's just deep shots. Like that's the alternative. That's what, you know, it feels like Matt Patricia and company are telling him to do when there's an extra pass rusher. And now you're throwing it to Devonte Parker, Jacoby Myers, and then occasionally Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton in that spot. And we've seen it run nicely somewhat against the Ravens, but most often it's been really bad in that dynamic. Now I'm not saying the Buffalo Bills are going to go out there and rush five, but I also think like when there is a pass rush, Mac has just internally regressed this year. And I think part of that is goes back to this. There just aren't any answers to what's hot to where to go to. And so he just crumbles in the pocket. So that's really what it is to me um, on the Patriots end. Anything you want to add to that? No, I, I'm with you. I think they, I have seen Mac Jones in the last couple of weeks throw it downfield a lot more. It doesn't look like it's classic under center play action, seven step drop, beautiful deep ball down the pass uh, down the sideline. It does seem a little bit more chaotic and unplanned for, which I do not like. And it's all in the Patriots defense because like they're not just creating turnovers; they're scoring touchdowns off those turnovers. And then again in Week 13, when these two teams played, the only touchdown scored by the Patriots was that Marcus Jones screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the Bills, and I think you just outlined what, again, an hour from now, it could be even more complicated than what we expect in research for the show. But Isaiah McKenzie, when they faced the Patriots, went five for 44 as the team's second leading wide receiver. Devin Singletary, James Cook combined for 27 carries in that game compared to just 33 passing attempts. And you know me and Isaiah McKenzie against the Patriots. I'll always look at his, uh, projection on the higher or lowers because those crossing routes or the middle of the field are, are quite nice. 
I, I will say in it was only what 10 minutes, but I did see Cole Beasley and Khalil Shakur in yep. over Isaiah McKenzie this last week. I'm not sure if Isaiah McKenzie's holding on to that job. I think there could be more of a rotation now. Uh, even if Cole Beasley plays 10 snaps, that's still a pretty big deal to Isaiah McKenzie's baseline. And uh, the other thing for the Patriots is Damian Harris. He came back the last week and played a little bit more at the expense, obviously, of Ramondre Stevenson. Jets at the Dolphins. I believe the spread now is one and a half in favor of the Miami Dolphins. Um, there's even been some late news, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what's on the line here for the Jets and the Dolphins? Well, the Jets are eliminated. Uh, they have the 13th pick going into the week. It does seem like they're going to be playing. We're still waiting on some news for Mike White, who's still on the injury report with the, that ribs and did not look right last week. Uh, Garrett Wilson, somebody's like going for like offensive rookie of the year, if that matters to any of them. But on the Dolphins side, they're the ones to pay attention to to make the playoffs, and they have about a 42% chance of doing so they have to win. And then the, like the game previously, the Patriots have to lose to the bills. So it's somewhat yeah. doable. The problem obviously is it looks like they're going to be starting Skylar Thompson Tua is still in concussion protocol as a practice. Teddy Bridgewater. They're trying to get it. It seems like he has a dislocated finger on his throwing hands. His status is still up in the air. I do think that based off of kind of what the, the betting markets are look like, they're kind of anticipating Skylar Thompson to play. So this game is, is basically a toss up, but we have quarterback concerns still on Thursday. These two teams played back in week five and actually Skylar Thompson came in after that first series for an injured Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, what stood out to me when watching that game was the core of the Dolphins offense this season has been these middle of the field receptions for Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle to run after the catch or, you know, just in that cavern that they create between the linebackers and the safeties that is much more difficult with Skylar Thompson than it is with Tua and even with Teddy right because he's just a different style of quarterback he's a bit more mobile and they tended to attack more and tried to on the edges a lot of misdirection and a lot of manufactured touches actually to both Tyree Kill and Raheem Mostert behind the line of scrimmage so like the typical, again, in breaking routes with Tyreek, with Tua on the hashes, excuse me, and Jalen Waddle on the hashes, don't expect to see that. And so this might be another new another new twist in what we're asking the Dolphins' offense to be. Um, and on top of that, like, this Jets defense is one that, is built on a Robert Sala philosophy that comes from the 49ers that gave Mike McDaniel and company so much of an issue during that game against the 49ers. So maybe they can, you know, take some of those learnings and apply it here. This total is so low. Yeah, I mean, it's so low. The other part of this, and I wanted to bring this up, there's some Jets beat writers suggesting Mike White, who went from a full participant yesterday down to just limited today. Also, I don't think he skipped schedule media session. I think it was very brief there is maybe some concern that he might not even be the starter this week. Like yeah. buzz. Yeah. Who knows? We'll learn more. I know that Robert Sala is, is like somewhat playing for his job. I think he's safe, but him missing the playoffs after where they were at midpoint, I would assume that he would not be trying to play a worse quarterback in this situation. So it comes down to health here. Yeah. And you could not get more different from like who played in this game back in what week, week five, because it was yeah. a Zach Wilson game. It was only 19 to 17 heading into the fourth quarter. And then there was all those fumbles and turnovers towards the end. And then Brees Hall played a huge, huge role. 
right. um, we have to have this conversation for for a later time, but I do want to say real quick, the Dolphins have a major decision to make about Tua and what to do with him coming into this next season. He's mm. obviously played well enough to be the franchise quarterback, but are they going to have to make significant strides in the backup quarterback department? Somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, perhaps even better, just because they're not going to be able to go into 2023 knowing that he's going to be the quarterback for the full year. I mean, this is so many concussions. I feel terrible for Tua, but it's getting to the point and he's, he hasn't practiced at all that I do wonder what the dolphins think of this entire quarterback room. We're going to close the book on a lot of these teams that did not make the playoffs on Tuesday's episode. Just talk about what might be in their future. The dolphins will maybe be one of those yeah. teams. And what's fascinating to me is they went into this season with two first round picks and they were in the sweepstakes of those teams that could make a change at quarterback. And then because of the ownership, uh, looking into both Sean Payton and Tom Brady, and then at the trade deadline, making a move for Bradley Chubb and giving him an extension. Now they have no first round picks. So at the, at the time it was putting all of your eggs in the basket of Tua. And now towards the end here, despite having really nice peaks of this offense, you're still going to have a bunch of questions heading into 2023. And it's not just at the quarterback. I think it's at some other positions too, other than wide receiver. Maybe they go get Sean Payton and Tom Brady again, run it back. <laughs> I mean, it. both are going to be available. <laughs> and Like, yeah, I, I don't want to comment on like the Jets coaching search or even the Dolphins no. potential one. You know, it's, it's weird. But I think what we have always learned when you follow these teams for decades now, what changes our coaches, what changes our players, what is consistent is ownership. And the reason that bad teams stay bad is because of owners. And if they hate five to six game losing streaks to end a season, drastic moves can be made. Uh, and now we're even, you know, more likely to hear of things behind the scenes like we did with the Sean Payton, Tom Brady stuff. So uh, it wouldn't be totally shocking if something happened. It would be totally ridiculous, I think, for either yes. one of these coaches to not be the coach in 2023. Don't believe those reports that Zach Wilson's for sure going to be back on the Jets. That's media speculation right now. That's a joke. All right. I do not have a swipe for this one, but let's go to the Browns and the Steelers game. Still in the one o'clock window here. Um, the Steelers are favored by two and a half points. It's just a total of 40 and a half. Uh, what is there to play for here? The Browns are eliminated. They are without a first round pick. I think they're going to play as normal um, for the most part. Uh, they got to see what they have in Deshaun Watson, obviously going into the off season. So I think this game is still important to them, especially because they can knock out division rival, uh, the Steelers, the Steelers, they have about 21% odds to make the playoffs. They have to win this game. They have to have the Patriots lose to the bills and they have to lose, have the dolphins lose as well. So it's not looking good, but since all those games are happening in this window, They'll all be playing at full speed here. So it really just comes down to, can Kenny Pickett make enough plays uh, through the air? Or could Najee Harris in this really bad offensive line take advantage of a pretty good matchup against a defensive line for the Browns that's arguably even worse? So I'm not surprised that this game projects to be pretty close. Kenny Pickett would need to get the Steelers into the playoffs and have a big game to have any chance for rookie of the year. I don't think that's really on the table here, but... Um, the Steelers at least have a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, and can Penny can Kenny Pickett stack what he did in the fourth quarter against the Ravens on Sunday Night Football with that nice drive to win it with Najee Harris in the back of the end zone? It's interesting. Like Pickett is a real playmaker out of structure. We talked about this a lot coming out 
of the He was draft. the opposite of what everyone said he was. I know. Pe- people thought he was an in-pocket processor, no. but so much of his best stuff was when he got off his base and then, you know, skirted to the right side or the left side and was able to create. However, it's because I think, Hayden, he doesn't have incredible, quote-unquote, tools in those areas. Like, he's not huge. He's not fast. He's not overly athletic. But he just has like that gamesmanship to him, like that willingness to test the boundaries of everything. And so it makes you wonder, can that succeed? Can that thrive? Even with he doesn't have the same tools of the players that it does succeed in that style with his best trait. You're asking what what is the one trait you can ride home with? And I think it is just purely accuracy. Is that how important is that? But I think when he throws the ball, it is on the right spot most of the time, kind of like Mac Jones, where it's like. Yeah, everything around him doesn't look right and stuff, but when he's throwing the ball on time, the ball is very accurate. So, uh, I yeah, the, the rookie of the year stuff was mostly hyperbole. He does not have a good chance of making it, but he will be in the conversation at least if the Steelers can somehow make the playoffs. They need a lot of help. Talks about in structure. I would almost like him more to hit passes in rhythm and in the timing oh, yeah. of the offense. Uh, and that's something I'll be watching for heading into next year. But I also think part of that is probably on the wide receivers that do some of their best work in freelance situations. OC. So, and the OC, 100% in Matt. The Steelers might actually be better off if they miss the playoffs. They have to find a fall guy and offensive coordinator, and then they rebuild. Vikings at the Bears. <sighs> Justin Fields isn't playing. So this spread is now at seven and a half in favor of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, a total Which is absurd, of, by the yeah, way. A total of just 43 <laughs> and a half. But I mean, this game isn't watchable if Justin Fields is in play. Yeah, no, no Justin Fields. He came in with a hip injury. We'll never know how uh, truly uh, injured Justin Fields is because the Bill or the, the Bears excuse me, have the second overall pick right now. But if they lose and Houston wins, all of a sudden they could have the first overall pick. So this might be a little bit of tanking on the Bears side. I can't blame them um, at all. The Vikings, obviously, they're in the contention for the number two or number three seed. They need to win and have San Francisco lose to the Cardinals, which is not very likely. So I think the Bears or the the Vikings will play their starters, but um, is it a situation where they have to play their starters the entire game? I'm not sure all about that. So I think that the, the Vikings should win this game comfortably, but it kind of shows you how overrated the Vikings are compared to their record um, because this point spread in a lot of other places could have been about 13 or something like that. And the fact that it's only seven uh, at least caught my attention. Right. But this also might be a game where the Vikings win and it's not a one possession game. They've been very few of those, you know, uh, because they master in winning one possession games. And when they lose, they lose big, they lose big. And that's why they have a negative 19 point differential, uh, which is worse than the New York giants. It's worse than the New Orleans Saints. And only, you know, they're not one of the six teams in the NFC that have a positive point differential. Let's put it that way. Um, It was interesting how I thought last week Justin Jefferson was being covered. It was in somewhat situations like what we saw with the Lions earlier this year, where I I think the Packers on early downs were doing some of their traditional coverages, but then on third downs where we're bracketing him. And so what is their answer when he does get bracketed? Because so far through two games where we've seen a lot of it, I don't think Kevin O'Connor has given a great answer for it. And maybe the answer is moving him more and more into the slot. Um, I also think yeah. someone else needs to win against man coverage. And that has been TJ Hawkinson's job. 
And he is like the only one probably with the talent to overcome his matchup each and every week. And so he just has to be more consistent too, because I know Arif and a bunch of other people point out that uh, he's had a case of the dropsies in critical situations too. He has, yeah. The Justin Jefferson issue, if you're getting bracketed, you're getting isolated coverage in a bunch of different spots on the field. You have to have right. the other weapons to make up for that, and that's how you get the bracket coverage removed from it. And if if he's even duds in the game, but he's getting bracketed coverage, that should be a win for the Vikings Correct. if somebody can make up from it. I'm not sure if the Bears are going to do that this game. They're not. I don't I mean, think the Bears are trying to win. And who who would they even be doing it with? Yeah. Okay, let's jump one. And since we just talked about the Bears potentially getting the number one overall yep. selection, let's talk about the team that currently has it because the Texans are facing the Colts. I mean, the Texans could really screw this up and win, you know? And we point back to 2020 when the Jets won back-to-back games against the Rams and the Browns to go 2-14, and 14, which took them from having the number one overall pick and getting Trevor Lawrence and got them Zach Wilson. So maybe in-house mm. are like, oh, we like a couple of these quarterbacks and we're going to compete and blah, blah, blah. You want your guy. You want the number one at the top. And this is a pretty winnable game, I think, for Houston. This is the tank-off game because the Texans are clearly in that spot where they need to lose to get that first overall pick. But the Colts are eliminated. They have the fifth overall pick in this game. And I believe they're starting Sam Ellinger uh, and having Matt Ryan be the backup. Uh, I think Jeff Saturday is trying to play this game for a win to save his job. But yeah. are we going to have some situations where maybe some of the other starters don't play as many snaps here as well? I'll keep it short. Both teams should be lose, trying to lose this game. What will that mean for what actually happens here? I'm not sure. But this is the tank off game. I can't even imagine what the the over under in this game is. It's got to be in the 30s. I think it's very easy for people in my seat, people on Twitter to say, well, they obviously know what they need to do. They just need to lose out and have the number one overall pick. But imagine like clocking into your job. That is a very physical one. Let us remind each other uh, for 18 weeks of the season and like having the mindset of, oh, my coaches who are also coaching for their futures right. want to lose. Um, I don't think it's that simple. You know, like I think you can make moves, let's say like the Bears did with trading Robert Quinn and trading Roquan Smith and diminishing your talent. But when the whistle blows, the ball is kicked off. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm just not going to try the snap so on and so forth. Because that's also when things can happen on the field. Players, players do not tank. But I will just say starting Sam Ellinger over Matt Ryan. Is that is that tanking? Because that seems that seems like it's something. Yeah, Um. We've also seen it could be a Jim Ursay something who like mm-hmm. forced that on Frank Reich. And then as soon yeah. as Jeff Saturday came in, Jeff's like, oh, I want to try to win. And like, as you're yeah. saying, uh, Matt Ryan's my guy. None of those three quarterbacks are going to be playing, yeah. I think, in the NFL yeah. next season. Go outside or do 500 pushups instead of watching this game. For <laughs> oh my All right, we'll back up one and go with the Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. Tell us what is there to play for in this game, Hayden? The Bucs are the number four seed no matter what after beating the Panthers last week. They could easily rest players. Um, I saw a report earlier in the week that they do plan to start and play the, their team. Maybe it's because they haven't looked very good and they want to play, but this team's also old and they have pretty experienced, so they have some risk. What do you have? Vegas does not expect them to because right now the line is the Falcons are favored by four. Good. My my 
anticipation would that the Bucks would not play. I saw something on like Tuesday that the Bucks would right. be playing, but sometimes they do that. Either way, the Bucks don't have anything to play for because they're the number four, four seed no matter what. So even if Tom Brady starts, they could pull him after a quarter or something like that. The Falcons, they're eliminated. They have the seventh overall pick going into this thing. Uh, they're in the quarterback mix. They should be trying to lose, but at the same time, they got a bunch of rookies everywhere that they got to be getting some experience to. So uh, I think it's pretty pretty on point that the Falcons are slight favorite in a, in a mostly meaningless game. As for the Falcons, uh, is Ritter even playing for like the 2023 job or is that like already a wrap that he's not that guy? You know, if, if it was up to me, it would be a wrap. But I mean, in theory, you there's could have a Davis mill situation battling. though. Right. Like, and there's yeah. 10 teams battling for a starting quarterback right. this off season too. And so if like the musical chairs don't land with the Falcons, maybe he can do just enough where they're like, okay, we can push this to, 2024 I, I look at the division Tom Brady is going to be gone the Saints situation they don't have a quarterback the Panthers don't have a quarterback I think that they can say you know what let's give uh Derek Carr or Ryan Tannehill a call and let's go take this division they have probably the best young talent in the division yeah I think their Tannehill one makes a lot of sense because there is that connection I think mm-hmm. Derek Carr is going to be a hot commodity in this I know quarterback carousel you know um, and as for the Panthers, excuse me, as for the Bucks against the Panthers last week, you could look at those three Mike Evans receptions that were long and say, okay, things have been fixed. We've turned the corner. But when you go back and watch it, it was really just those three big receptions and everything else was still pretty short. And those were just three horrible defensive scenarios yep. where they tried two different cornerbacks who couldn't match up in one-on-one situations. And the coach and Steve Wilkes in the last one said, okay, it's cover zero. Uh, I should have shifted on over to cover two. Um, but I will say this is probably the healthiest the Bucks offensive line has been since the start of training camp. You know, yep. you get back your center, you have both tackles out there, even though Donovan Smith just loves to hug people uh, this late in the season. So maybe because of at least having that center back, Tom does feel more protected and more confident. Um, because I don't think his arm strength has gone anywhere, but as we keep talking about each week, it's the accuracy right now that has changed. Yeah, accuracy and feel for the pocket, but feel the pocket could have been correlated because of offensive line injuries. That is the one thing you can hang your hat on if you are playing NFL playoff best ball. The Bucks, it has not been good. If they play like they have been this entire season, they will get stomped by the Cowboys. But if the injuries break the right way on the offensive line, I think that's the one advantage that the Bucks could have this version versus the version last two two months. Did you see Brian Byron Leftwich's uh, press conference notes today? He's like, we were 11th in passing yards today. Yeah. This season, isn't that good enough for everyone? Yeah, I think it was like 24th in scoring. Yeah. All right. And by the way, 11th is not good enough. No, it's not <laughs> good enough. When you have that much money being spent on right. quarterbacks and both wide receivers. You oh, Tom really, Brady. All four wide receivers. Yes. Last game in the 1 o'clock window, it's the Panthers and the Saints. Uh, both of these teams are out of contention. Yep, Panthers eliminated. They have the ninth pick going into the week. Saints eliminated without a first-round pick. Uh, I think both coaches are trying to play for their jobs, so I think that's kind of the incentive here. Um, All the Panthers players are coming out and saying they want Wilkes back. I know we've we've had some debates with it, um, but yeah, I'm guessing that they make a big move at quarterback, and I can see them sticking with Steve Wilkes. I know the players are at least saying. What's your thoughts? I mean, every player is. You go from Derek Brown, who's the Walter Payton man of the year nominee for the team down to like JC Horn to everyone, you know, I'll be interested yeah. in Steve Smith's thoughts on cut to it about it. When that happens, yep. uh, they are certainly putting pressure on the owner who's made some uncommon decisions at times and is known to be a bit erratic. 
in his decision making. Uh, again, I will just continue to repeat if I know anything about David Tepper, it's that he'll want a new quarterback and a new offensive minded head coach. And I think a lot of teams are going to be searching for those. And he's not okay. the most stable of those names, right. but stability, if that is what he's searching for, that is the word that all of the players keep bringing up with Steve Wilkes, that he brings them stability on a weekly basis. Yeah, I was going to say stability. Here's, here's a fix for you. They trade up for C.G. Stroud, second or third overall. Um, and then, or before that, they get Frank Reich as OC. David Tepper spends big for a top-minded uh, offensive mind. Uh, I'm not sure if Reich's going to get a head coaching job. I've I've seen some rumors that he might be better suited as offensive coordinator. Now, you got Wilkes on defense, him as OC. In order... For the Panthers to probably trade up for CJ Stroud, they'll probably need to lose this game, right? Because they're what the ninth pick, ninth pick, or go all in. Is Tepper going to say, "All right, I'm keeping the 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 coach that the players want, but I'm getting the quarterback I want," and that could be a big move. We'll see. Um, it's also a big game for Sam Darnold because I think he is kind of in the same situation that like Desmond Ritter's in. You know, yeah. Uh, you can make a case for Sam Darnold since he's taken back over the starting job that his passing EPA is among. You know, the top half, the top 10 of the league in that span. It's just growing the beard, and that's all that's helped. Um, Mm -hmm. No, but for real, like, again, there's going to be so many teams looking for a quarterback change that Sam Darnold is – ooh, we got an oven going off. Thank you, fiancé. That I do believe that, uh, that, yes, Sam Darnold is going to be a starting quarterback somewhere because I think he's one of the top 32 quarterbacks in the league, and that's how a bunch of franchises are going to view him. Bring her in here and make her answer for this. That's what that's what the podcast needs. I agree. Darnold's going to be a week one quarterback next year. That's my prediction. Somewhere. All right. Next up for the Rams at the Seahawks. This is the first game in the four o'clock window. I'll take it. You can go on mute. Thank you. This is easy. The Rams, they've been eliminated. They don't have a first round pick. Uh, they're trying to see what they have with Baker Mayfield. Uh, the rest of the team is not very good. Uh, the Seahawks, they are the teams playing for something here the seahawks they need to win and then they need the uh lions to pull off the upset in green bay uh 538 has this about 22 percent there is an argument out there and i guess it makes some some sense that the seahawks kind of got a little bit screwed here because they're not playing at the same time as this packers lions game but we already got confirmation that dan campbell will be playing on sunday night football uh, so the Seahawks, they have no choice. They're going to be playing at full capacity. Uh, Ken Walker, he's playing for the offense rookie of the year. He is the current favorite for that. He's averaging 98 total yards and 0.9 total touchdowns in his 10 healthy games as the lead back is the oven on. Are you now divorced? Uh, no, it's still going. Uh, no, it just stopped. Wow. What the timing, great Bang. timing. All right. So all I have to say about this is that the Seahawks really struggle to stop the run. So this is like a real K makers game. I feel like, and I've, we're talking about the quarterbacks having somewhere to look in 2023. That's been the whole ride for Cam Akers over these last, you know, 12 months for him. And he's been a really strong part of this offense. And uh, I, he's probably at least like, I'm not saying he's playing for a starting role in 2023, but I'm saying he's like playing for part of the competition, if that makes sense. Because it feels weird still mm-hmm. of how the Rams view him. Um, and just quickly on the Seahawks, Gino, as you outlined, awesome season. One of the guys with this team also having a top five pick where it's in question. 
Last week against the Jets, I thought that the Seahawks looked away from their outside wide receivers because how great the outside cornerbacks are of the Jets. And we probably should have seen this coming where they maximized it was with their tight ends. You know, two got touchdowns. Noah Fant was probably more involved than he's been all season long. So, again, just against the Rams, I would expect them to get DK more involved. And then, obviously, we have the Kenneth Walker down-to-down success without Aaron Donald playing. Lockett wasn't a full-time player last week. I'm hoping that he can do it this week. Everything's on the line for him. Well, and he was going in and out of the lineup. So, that wasn't like we're going to hold you back. It was like the injury was popping up. Yes. Yes. Next up is the – I have the Chargers at the Broncos up. What's at stake here? First of all, there are so many noises. I heard a dog wiggling. I heard a car horn. This is like the damn circus in our week 18. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, this is something that the NFL got wrong. They had to choose whether the Ravens would be playing in the 4 o'clock window or the 1 o'clock window. By putting the Ravens in the early window, that solidified that the Chargers most likely are going to be in a situation where they're going to know their fate. The Chargers can only be the fifth or the sixth seed here. If Baltimore loses, remember, they're not going to be using Lamar Jackson here. Then the Chargers would be the fifth seed. Once the NFL made that decision, the betting market swung, and all of a sudden the, the Broncos are favored. Justin Herbert has been on the injury report here. Uh, we have seen Brandon Staley, remember, coming from Sean McVay in those preseason narratives. Rest your players, rest your players, rest right. your players. I anticipate the Chargers not playing their key players here either at all or just for a little bit here. And then the Broncos are in a situation where they're eliminated. They don't have their first round pick though. They still probably got to see what they have with Russell Wilson. Every single snap matters to me for them. And then after uh, we had Brandon Staley, he said, once we find out about that game, Cincinnati, Baltimore, then we'll make the appropriate decisions moving forward. I think rest. I think the Broncos have the advantage here because the chargers most likely will have nothing to play for. Rather than give analysis on this game, I'll tell you what's going on behind the scenes here in the Norris household. Um, yours truly does a lot of the cooking here. So at 6.30, I request the fiance to turn on the oven to 420 degrees uh, so I could do cooking immediately after this so I wasn't staying up too late. And what was in just there? Nothing. <laughs> just turning on the oven is what caused the uh, smoke alarm to go off. I mean, there had to be something in the oven that you guys left a freaking leftover hot pocket or what? Hopefully yeah. nothing. So that's what it is. Uh, that's a one-time thing. All right, next up, it's the Giants and the Eagles. So for the Giants and the Eagles, uh, it's again, four o'clock window. And the Eagles are favored by 14 points at the moment because yep. the Giants have everything locked up, Hayden, and now have nothing to play for. The Giants, they're going to be the number six seed no matter what. They're already saying that they're going to be resting their players. I think that's what it's going to be. I think their team total is at 14 and a half points. So yeah. who I don't even know who their backup quarterback is. I think it was like a Tyrod Taylor or something at one point. I don't know who it is. Now it's someone else. Um. Anyways, that doesn't really matter. The Giants have nothing to play for. They're going to be the number six seed. Probably going to be playing the Vikings, maybe the 49ers. Uh, to start it out, the Eagles, they gonna, they're going to clinch the number one seed with a win. Uh, even if they do lose, they still have a three three 3% chance of being um, the number one seed. But anyways, they got to play because they need to lock up this number one seed, period. I actually think it is, Tyrod. And then the guy that was off and on the practice squad, I believe, is Davis Webb. Oh, yeah. The great. Davis Webb, old faithful. Um, the only thing I want to say is that the Giants blitz a lot. Wink Martindale loves it, and he'll probably still do it with his backups. <laughs> and because of that, 
you get isolated routes on the outside for a bunch of these wide receivers and you have AJ Brown and you have Devonte Smith who've been dominant in isolation against single high looks. So if I'm looking on Saturday on Sunday to pick a lobby with the projections, uh, think about those receiving yard totals for both of those wide receivers. Cause I think like, that is the area again that can be exploited against this Giants defense because of Wink's aggressiveness that he'll still carry out there with backups. Uh, Jalen Hurts also still in the injury report, but he'll by, yeah, he'll get a pain injection, and get out there. If we keep saying he'll play one time, uh, he'll eventually play. Yeah, I lowered. Cowboys at the Commanders. So right now the Cowboys are seven point favorites, total of forty one in this game. What's on the line, Hayden? So they play at the same time as the Eagles and the Cowboys going into this have a 6% chance of winning the division, 1% chance of being that number one seed. Take the Eagles losing some games here, uh, which is not going to happen given that that point spread that we just talked about. But I do think it's still enough for the Cowboys to go out there and probably play their players for most of the game. Uh, They're probably going to be the number five seed, however, and they're going to be playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay and Wild Card Weekend. Uh, the Commanders, meanwhile, this was one of my favorite storylines of the week. Uh, they've been eliminated. They have the 14th pick going into the week. Uh, they initially had Taylor Heineke as the starter here. And remember, this was after, after Ron Rivera didn't know that they could get eliminated. Uh, they go into the week with Taylor Heineke as the as the starter. Taylor Heineke tells the coaches that, hey, you know what? Sam Howell, the rookie, actually deserves a chance here. That's what was reported. So now Sam Howell, the rookie, is going to be getting... Uh, a, a final start here. There was even some comfort. There was kind of like some question marks. If Taylor Heineke told the coaching staff or if the coaching staff decided on themselves, either way, this is the last classic storyline for the commanders and what's uh, another year of chaos uh, in that building. I love Ron Rivera. I really like Ron Rivera and I don't think a team. He is one of the coaches that when he walks into your building, like the whole team takes on his identity but this has been really weirdly handled, which is unsurprising. Um, and it's also, you consider that this team would probably get sold this offseason and have mm-hmm. new ownership heading into next year as well. Um, yeah, the same Howell experiment. I know a lot of people get really excited during preseason. I just like seeing eyes on a player. You know, I'm not saying positively right. or negatively and just having something to watch them. Um, on the Cowboys end, I think there's something that's more impactful here. Tyler Biotish, who left. Their last game has a high ankle injury. Jerry Jones, he's not playing this week, but it sounds like he might be back for the first round of the playoffs. I'm guessing, like they did in that game, Tyler Smith, the great rookie, is probably going to move inside to guard. Then you have Jason Pierce at left tackle and keep Tyron Smith at right tackle. The only thing I want to see is like no turnovers from Dak Prescott. We've seen way too many as of late. Some because of him, some not because of him, but this is one of those games to like not have a turnover, you know, let's go through 60 minutes of that. And to your point, Washington's defensive line, which has been really good this season at times, rest some of their players because they really have nothing to play for. I've seen John Allen. I've seen Montez sweat chase young, obviously just came back from his long-term injury. Will those snaps either be zero or even diminished because again, they have nothing to play for. Yeah. I'm guessing they're still going to play their guys just because the coaching staff is still on the line here. Um, but yeah, the Sam Howell things does add in a little bit of a wrinkle here, but you almost like if Sam Howard just doesn't panic, that's a positive because like Carson Wentz panics, Taylor Heineke 
panics, albeit in different ways. Like Taylor Heineke goes into creation mode and thinks he has a cannon for an arm. And Carson Wentz just puts his feet in cement and then tries to launch passes into triple coverage down the field. Like what if Sam shows some ability with poise and the noise, as my friend Josh McCown says, and uh, show something? That'd be fun. What if? Here's my prediction. Derek Carr traded to the commanders. Okay. I think we're going to bring up Derek Carr 17 times on this episode. All right. Two more games. Uh, the last one in the four o'clock window is the Cardinals and the 49ers. Uh, I mean, the Cardinals are real down bad, real down bad. Yep. Eliminated fourth overall pick going into the weekend. Uh, Kyler Murray's contract, very not tradable. So I don't know what they're going to do there. DeAndre Hopkins trade contract is kind of tradable um, as offseason storyline. The Cardinals, they have nothing to play for, obviously. Uh, the 49ers, they clinched the number one seed with a win here. And if the Eagles lose, obviously, odds are very low because the Eagles are 14 and a half point favorites against the Giants. But the 49ers can clinch the number two seed over the Vikings with the win. I think that's probably enough to play the starters um, as relatively normal. There are a lot of injury uh, things to mention here. Christian mm. McCaffrey has not been practicing this week with a knee and ankle injury. Debo Samuel on the flip side, he has been practicing. I think we'll figure out final uh, injuries tomorrow and see what they're actually going to do here. Um the Cardinals should beat or the 49ers should beat the Cardinals by a million in Debo Samuel's absence. I think Brandon Ayuk has totally emerged as a wide receiver one in this league. And I mean, I've he been did it once fan. though. He did it once, but I, I think the tape's been good regardless. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like the production might not be there on a weekly basis, but like the individual talent. And again, what we saw against the Raiders, I mentioned at the top, look at just those in breaker routes over and over and over again. And I just keep thinking and sometimes repeat in my head, of how we talked about Brock Purdy after when he stepped in for Jimmy Garoppolo and being like, okay, this takes away a contender, so on and so forth. It really doesn't. Like, I didn't know anything about Brock Purdy at the time, but what he's shown since is like real capabilities of carrying this thing and, and moving it forward. And hey, now I actually think he's making plays. It's not just like, oh, if he makes a mistake, then everything can crumble. He's elevating, I think, mm -hmm. at times too. Now, we still haven't seen that like one huge mistake from him that can win and lose games that we actually saw from Jim Garoppolo multiple times during his career. So that is always something to track when we have a very small sample size of a quarterback. But I've been, like many, highly impressed so far. Yeah, it's hard not to be impressed with him. Uh, I think they have the second highest odds to reach the Super Bowl um, in the NFC, only behind the Eagles at this point, because they're going to be hosting games where the Cowboys are going to have to go into Tampa, into, uh, depending on how the seating works out, into San Francisco or um, into Philadelphia. The 49ers passed a little bit easier. Just real quick, do you think Brock Purdy has any say in the Offensive Rookie of the Year conversation? Let's say they win this game. So that... When are those ballots cast? Because I know MVP isn't until later. I thought I think it's right after the season. Is it I right after wrong. the season? I think because for all of it. I, I always feel like it's always what have you done for me lately? And like let's say the Seahawks miss the playoffs and Brock Purdy takes them, you know, two rounds mm -hmm. in, two games in, then he might get it on top of that. Yeah. It is weird because the it the top candidates, the Garrett Wilson, Jets, they're limited. Chris Olave, Saints, they're probably going to, they're out of here. Uh, the Seahawks, Ken Walker, they can miss the playoffs. Then all of a sudden you're in a spot where the only rookie quarterback that was playing was Kenny Pickett. If they make the playoffs, does he have a, uh, right. a candidacy? Does Brock but Purdy I, have a candidacy? It's pretty up in the air. I guess they're all voted on like next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. That's when the ballots are sent in. 
he needs to win this game. They're going to, I don't even know what the point spread is. I'm sure it's double the weird digits. thing is though, like no one at the top, like I can make a case for Kenneth Walker. I can make the case for Garrett Wilson. I'd say those odds are really disrespectful to Chris Olave. Who's been really consistent all season long. It just shows you that no one wants to watch the saints, which I don't blame you. Um, of that grouping though, the best story has been Brock Purdy. The best narrative has been Brock Purdy. Yeah. So I think mean, most productive is Ken Walker and he's looked the part doing it. Interesting point from Victor. Kyle Shanahan definitely wants the number two seed. Of course, he wants to face the Packers in the first round, a team that he's dominated during his career. I'm not sure if I want to, if I would rather, I think I'd rather play the Giants over the Packers, to be honest, Uh, Mm. but they don't think like that. Well, let's go to those Packers because they're on Sunday night football against the Detroit Lions. A really fun game here. Hayden, right now, the Packers are favored by four and a half points. It's a total of 49. Yeah, so the Packers, they clinch this number seven seed uh, with a win. Easy as that. They'll be playing at full speed. Uh, Lions defense obviously has been exposed. The Packers look more functional as a team over the last month of the season, as Aaron Rodgers said would be the case with a young staff. On the other side, just real quick, the Lions, they have a chance to uh, get the playoffs as well. They would need to beat the Packers here and they would need the Seahawks to lose earlier on. That's where some of the Seahawks fans were complaining. But Dan Campbell said it. It made sense to me from the get-go. Dan Campbell is going out here to win this game regardless for a couple of reasons. First off, uh, he's Dan Campbell. Uh, second off, a, young, a lot of young town. They want to see what they have here. And they would be eliminating the Green Bay Packers, one of their division uh, rivals forever. And possibly, if they do pull off this upside, would that be enough for the Packers to ship Aaron Rodgers out of town missing the playoffs. So I think everything's on the line for the, the Lions, no matter what. Both teams will be going full smoke here. This is a great Sunday night football game. Potentially, just a little narrative, potentially Aaron Rodgers' last game in that uniform. I think that'd be fairly unlikely, but uh, it's at least that there's a chance. And potentially Ben Johnson's last game of play calling for the Detroit Lions. Hopefully you all tune into that episode of Scheme. It's on the channel uh, ben Johnson's connected play calling, his creativity has been awesome this season. Went back and watched these two teams in their first matchup earlier this season. You couldn't take anything from it. Like Aaron Rodgers had three turnovers. It might have been like the worst of his season. You remember he had two at the one yard line that throw to David Bakhtiari, which was just oh awful. My God, that yeah. was picked off. That feels like an eternity ago. Right. Um, this was also the game just before Christian Watson went off mm-hmm. this season. Uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers threw it 43 times. Jared Goff threw it just 26 times. That was obviously in the Dome in Detroit. Jamal Williams got 24 carries. 24 carries. At the time, the Lions were 1-6. and six. But what stood out to me and what I think is a huge difference in this for the Packers, not just at being outside and in the elements and all that type of stuff and how they've gotten better, but there were some key fourth down and third down where Aaron Rodgers was throwing it to Sammy Watkins and Amari Rodgers, you know? <laughs> I mean, for real, there were key situations down that game and down that stretch where it was Sammy Watkins who looked large and Amari Mm -hmm. Rodgers who had no clue what he was doing. And now you have Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs and Al Lazard and Lazard was the vertical threat in that Mm -hmm. one. So when they saw a single high, they're trying to do slot fades to Lazard. And that's just going to, I think, hit better this time. I would be shocked if the Packers don't come out victorious in this game. Um, I like the the, the point spread seems fair to me right now. Uh, Real quick. We went through all of the team incentives. Uh, Sosa from Underdog Network as well has gone over some of the player incentives on top of uh, some free agency stuff. He's got a primer on this slate. For example, Jamal Williams, our guy, the gyration king, needs six yards for another 
quarter million dollars for getting a thousand yards, thousand yards leading the NFL and touchdowns 15th round. How can you not love that? Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back here on Tuesday with another episode of the show where we close the book on all the non-playoff teams and talk about their future up the villa. We will talk to y'all soon. See ya.